morning, reading from Mark uh, chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Uh, are you doing well? Wasn't, wasn't that great to, isn't God good just to enjoy his goodness? It's just wonderful. I love being in his presence. Although, let me just say, we're in his presence even when we're not singing and going like this. He's with us. That was what Raj said. He's with us. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, but just to in, take time to enjoy him, to, to encounter him uh, in a corporate sense is a delight for us. And uh, I, I love it. And, and you know, when it talks it about when, when we get to glory uh, and there'll be a new heaven and new earth, it's something about around the throne, there'll be myriads and myriads of people worshiping and dancing. And you think all the time just worshiping and giving glory. But somehow when you get into his presence like that, when you start singing, you think, I could do this all day. It's no hardship to give glory to Jesus. And I, somehow I, I think in, in the other side of when we get into eternity, I think somehow we'll be able to enjoy him and give him glory all day and yet be very functional at the same time. And that would be fun just to live in that place. Because the moment we live in different sections in life, and I think in that day we will be like him and we will be with him and enjoy him and serve him for eternity. And it, it, what we touch just a little bit in worship like that is, is it'll be multiplied and multiplied a hundredfold. It's worth looking forward to, isn't it? Well, I think so anyway. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Just to give um, the context here, Jesus uh, had been up the mountain with Peter, James, uh, and John, uh, and he was transfigured in front of them. They got to see him in his glory. Uh, they saw him talking with Elijah and Moses, and they heard a voice of the Father in heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And then when they came back down the mountain, uh, the rest of the disciples were waiting for Jesus because they had not been able to cast uh, a spirit out of a boy that had made the boy uh, deaf and, and mute from birth. And Jesus drives out the evil spirit and, and when the disciples asked why they couldn't drive it out, his reply is interesting. He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And you think, why, why are you mentioning that? I mention it because we have a prayer meeting tonight. I, I, I worry a little bit that we think prayer is something we do, but we don't understand the value of it. Um, prayer is the essential, an essential part of the work we do as the Church of Jesus Christ. It isn't, we, we change the world through prayer. We transform things through prayer. We change the atmosphere through prayer. The kingdom comes through prayer. And if we ignore prayer, much of the plans that Jesus has for us, the things he wants to do in us and through us, they won't be accomplished. He's waiting for a people who will take him at his word and pray and pray and pray. Um, I, uh, my, my, I mentioned before, my mom and dad are both 92. Uh, and still pressing on with God as best they can in their tottery old way. Uh, but what my mom says, she said, I can pray more now than I've ever done. And she's a real prayer warrior, and she prays and she prays and she prays, and she doesn't sleep very well, so she's up in the night and she makes a cup of tea, and she prays and she prays and she prays. And I dare to say she's probably accomplishing more in her later days than she's ever done the rest of her life, because prayer works. And we have to understand prayer works. Prayer changes things. Prayer transforms things. And the consequence is if we don't pray, we can pray. We can do all sorts of things and achieve very little because there's no prayer behind it. 
And I, I know personally I feel very challenged on the whole issue of prayer. So we read on from verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know that, that, that they were there because he was teaching the, his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Again, I, I find it interesting. Jesus had taught his disciples this before. This isn't the first time. And last time, if you remember, Peter had rebuked Jesus, telling him he was wrong. Do you remember that? And Jesus replied to Peter at that time, must have stung a bit, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of, of man. From our reading, it's clear that the disciples still didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but at least this time, Peter realized he'd better keep his mouth shut. He learned something. <laughs> keep quiet if you're ignorant. It's always a good lesson, isn't it? How many of us have opened our mouths and wished we hadn't? Have you ever, you ever done that? Pete, Peter was that classic guy. He, he was always opening his mouth um, and getting into, into bother, and, and, and now he learned a lesson. He kept his mouth shut. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, they asked him, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if any of you would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. As usual, I have Three points. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, I have three points. It, it's, it's quite interesting. There's nothing special about three points. I was having this discussion uh, last week or the week before with my son, who's now uh, in Bedford. At, uh, well, at the church I was at at Bedford, and he, he was finding he had to preach last weekend uh, at fairly short notice because somebody had been taken ill. And um, he was telling me what he was going to do. They're preaching through Mark as well. And he said, oh, he said, I, I, don't, I don't use points. And we had this discussion. He said, no, he said, I've, I've found my way of doing it. He said, I just preach what the Bible says. Okay. Uh, and, and so I listened to him. I thought, I'll, I'll have a listen. And, and it was one of those jaw-dropping moments when you listen to this preach and go, okay. Perhaps he knows better than me. It was an awesome preach. I thought, oh. And, and then you begin to feel old. Anybody feeling old here? It's one or two of you look a bit, you might be. And, and you, you suddenly think, oh, I, 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 don't think I, could, I could, don't think I could preach as good a sermon as that. Just preach about Jesus coming in the storm, and you think, and then you realize, perhaps I'm feeling competitive with my son. Do you, do you ever, fathers here, ever feel competitive with your sons? Yeah, yeah. You know, I share that for a reason. You'll see in a minute. Um, I have three points anyway. And they are ambition, greatness, and servanthood. Ambition. The ambition to be great, 
To be significant, to be noticed, to be famous is part of our fallen human condition. Does that mean all ambition is wrong? No, I I don't believe so. However, ambition that does not come under the lordship of Christ is very much a problem. The New Testament calls it selfish ambition, and it always causes problems. Let me read four different uh, passages to you. 2 Corinthians 12.20, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. (laughs) Interesting. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Wow. Then he writes the Galatians, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 and 21. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Wow, it's in the mix there, isn't it? Dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And then finally, in James 3, 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I don't envy my son, except I envy that he's only 40. But I don't envy in a, in, a, in a bad way. I wish him well. Uh, I, I pray, actually, he goes way beyond me. That's what God said he would, and, and his preaching is better than mine. But there's something in me still a bit competitive and think, I'd still like to preach him under the table if I could. Do you know that? Do, 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 does anybody ever have that sense of competitiveness? I mean, some do it with football. I do it with preaching. Is that all right? I mean, it's just how it works. It's... it's it, 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 it's like God anointed my mouth, and it seems to be that my feet are no good, and my body's not much use for anything except my mouth. I like to say that. Hence, I would come on the walk tomorrow, but oh, oh. have a great time. Anyway, let's, let's move on. I think it's a good thing to do, just I won't be there. Um, partly because we're going on holiday this week, but that's not really the reason. <laughs> Clearly, these d- disciples, they, they, they were ambitious to be seen each as greater than the other. We, we never have selfish ambition here in Jubilee, do we? Ever? Anybody? Oh, no, you never have a thought, well, why would they get, well, why them and not me? Do you ever? We'd never do that, would we? You're very quiet. Yes, we could have that problem here. Sadly, one of the biggest problems in the Western church today is a competitive spirit between leaders. To have the biggest church, or at least to be bigger than the church up the road, is sadly in the hearts of many leaders. Success is measured in how many people we gather on a Sunday, or how good the financial income is, or how many got saved on the Alpha course, and so on and so on. All of that has value, but I sometimes think, Numbers matter way too much. What interests me much more is making disciples. Now, I'm not saying that all church leaders are like that, but every one of us has an ego, 
and church leaders aren't immune from that. Do, you know, you, I've mentioned before, I used to go to the New Frontiers Conference, and all the young guys, you know, the testosterone-filled young guys who are going to change the world are down at the front row, right, right behind Terry and all the leaders. Okay? And they're there going, yeah, and they're praising God. And at the same time, you watch them looking along the road, see if anybody noticed them. Do, do, do you mean, now, it's part of being young. It's part of being, ah, I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. What, what I used to do is go up in the balcony and sit in the front row of the balcony with my feet up. Because there's something about that competitiveness that's part of the human condition, and yet in the church, it's offensive. In the church, it's destructive. And, and when you have lots of people like that, you find God has to gradually knock it out of them as part of their discipleship journey until they become servants of all. And I know lots of guys who become great leaders, but oh, the journey. <laughs> oh, the journey's been painful. Wouldn't it be good if in, in your 20s, in your teens, in your 20s, you could have it fully formed? Wouldn't it be great? You know, fully formed servants, fully formed character, all the issues are sorted pretty much. Not that mine are, but you know, you know what I mean. It wouldn't be great if you could start there, but that's not the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. What I, I love about my Tuesday mornings is that a number of us church leaders in the area gather together for prayer at St. Barnabas. We've been doing that for about two years now. And I love how increasingly all sense of competitiveness has gone. All our denominational labels have dropped off, and we're friends together with a passion to see Teesside transformed by the gospel. There's only about seven, nine of us, sometimes more, sometimes less. But honestly, by far, it's by far and away the best meeting I ever attend. It's better than this. It's better than elders' meetings. It's better than any New Frontiers meetings I go to. It's the best meeting I attend. Because there's no set. It's just we're here for you, Jesus. It's wonderful. And it's, it's, I, I delight in it, absolutely delight in it. I believe with all my heart as we gather on a Tuesday morning and pray, we are laying a foundation for growth in our churches and, and a foundation for the transformation of Teesside in the coming years. It may be years ahead before these prayers are worked out, but we're praying. We're asking Jesus to be famous in Teesside. Lord, let your kingdom come in Teesside. We're praying for the church in Teesside. Lord, Lord, please send workers into the harvest field. Lord, please, that's, that's work. And oh, we love it. And we get together and we lay hands on one another and support one another and root for it. It's fantastic. The best bit, we're not in, in any way in competition. I, I, I used to feel quite competitive as a leader when I was younger. You always wanted to have a church that was getting bigger. <laughs> you always wanted a church that had more people. And I understand that. But, you know, the, when, when the church up the road seemed to be growing and you weren't, there was a sense of, why not? Where I'm at now is this. Bless them, Lord, grow them big. It doesn't matter, does it? It's that the kingdom comes. Yes, we'll have our quota. Yes, yes, God. But you know what? We're not in competition. We're on the same side. You see, the, the disciples were saying, I'm greater than you are. I, no, no, they weren't in competition. They were on the same side. There was only one person who was great, and his name was Jesus. I don't know if you surprised that leaders could be like that. 
Anybody surprised that leaders would be competitive? Anybody ever come across competitive leaders in church? I'm not being critical. I'm just being honest. And bit by bit, God deals with us. Because there's only one person who should get the glory. And that's him. That's him. Now, for some people, what I've been talking about will not be their experience at all. Some people have such a poor self-image that they want to hide. They, they never try new things in case they might fail. And so for them, timidity is the order of the day. They rarely get the fulfillment of a sense of achievement because they never risk anything. They're too shy, too embarrassed, or at the first sign of failure, they go into a sulk and walk away. Now, we never do that here, do we? There's some knowing looks going on. All the way through this meeting, I've been looking at the birdcage or whatever, whatever it's supposed to be, thinking, I, I, I know so many people who live in that sort of cage and never come out. But notice there's no door. It's just safer in there. It's just safer in there. I've been in church leadership of some sort for over 35 years, and in that time, I've met so many people who never fulfill their potential. They struggle with even the thought of having godly ambition because they look at themselves all the time rather than who they are in Christ. My deep desire, my deep passion even, is to help children of God live out who they are in Christ for his glory. The possibilities are limitless. Well, Shirley was sharing, absolutely. You know what? It's not how clever you are, it's how big God is. There's no limit with God. And you're a child of God. If you believed on the Lord Jesus, you're born again and you entered a new kingdom and, and the old is gone and the new have come and you are a child of God and therefore the potential for you is the same as for everybody else. And yet we, we, we keep looking at ourselves rather than keep looking at Jesus. I, I, I'm so passionate to see people fly in God. I'm so passionate to see people, oh, oh just, I'm kind of rooting for them. I'm, I'm going to say, come on. Come on, come on. It's not about ambition, but come on. Dare to take some risks. Dare to try something new. Dare to step out. Dare to receive. Dare to be filled up. Dare to contribute. Dare to share your faith. Dare to whatever it is. Because we define ourselves by the lies of this world rather than define ourselves by what God says in his word. Time to come out the cage for so many people. See, imagine. You see, you, you, you can have a church of 3,000 all living in cages. And we come every Sunday and we bounce off each other and we do the thing and we sing the songs, but we never come out of the cage. We never become salt and light in the community. We never fulfill potential. We never change the world because we're locked away. We never dare to come out. You see, the door's gone. There's no door. The cross took it away. There's freedom for every one of us in Christ. The to total freedom to become who he made us to be. He's not going to make us, we're not all going to be the same. Raj is not going to be like me. I'm not going to be like Raj. And, you know, we're all different. But we're not in competition. We all have potential 
unique potential to make a huge difference in the purposes of God in our day. Don't define yourselves by this world, by how you feel, or even by what your parents have said as you've grown up. Define yourself by what the Word of God says. I want all of you, myself, everyone I know who's a Christian, to to be able to say at the end of our days, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. As I get older, I I was praying about it this morning. Oh, God, I do want to finish well. I do want to finish well. I'm not looking for profile, but I don't want to fade away and become irrelevant. You know what I mean? Just waiting to go. As long as I've got breath, I want it to be for his sake and for his glory. You know what I mean? As as long as we have breath, we need to be living for his glory and honor. It's like, oh, I fought the fight. I didn't feel like it, but I fought it anyway. Because the word of God defines me, and I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I can't rely on how I feel what I was spoken over as a child. Let's move on to greatness. It must have been very interesting and even an interesting, even heated conversation as the disciples are walking along. Jesus kind of sees they're, they're sort of having a bit of argy bargy between them. And, and I guess part of the discussion really was I'm, I'm greater than you in his eyes. Because who, who's the one who's looking? I'm greater than you in his eyes. He, he, he thinks I'm better than you. He took Peter, James, and John up, up, up the mountain. Why'd you take them and not us? We're really better than you are. Do you ever? We don't get that in church, do we, much? You do. Why are they leading and not me? Why, 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 why? Why not? They must have been a group of friends some of the time, but their egos were showing. Have you got one of those? Anybody here egoless? You do need prayer. Their egos were showing. It happens in church. You know, it happens in church. We're not totally sanctified, so we're, we're kind of jostling a bit. Well, they were jostling a lot. It's just as well there wasn't an X factor for apostles that have all signed up. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the star. I'm going to get the applause at the end, and I'm going to be voted to be the, the one. Interestingly, though, it's this, it's this bunch of competitive, ordinary guys that Jesus chose to change the world. I mean, what a mess. Well, no chance then. That's what we'd say. You know, if you looked at them, you wouldn't go, wow. Would you? you you'd look at the disciples, you know, and you think, I mean, sometimes you meet a bunch of people and you go, wow, amazing. You look at them and go, oh, dear, dear, dear. Wouldn't you? They're ordinary. Argue. Haven't much power. Don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Have learned to shut up. But, you know, it's not, it's not a happy story, is it? 
There's hope for us then. Because as I look around here, it's not always impressive. And as you look at me, it's not impressive. It really isn't impressive. You know, I would look to look. Like, I would love to be like Superman, except for my underpants on the outside. But do, do you know what I mean? I, 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 you see, we, we we long to sort of make a difference like that. But but to be impressive for Jesus is the world's on its head. It's the opposite. It's it's totally different. Jesus chooses ordinary people to follow him. Isn't that good news? Anybody qualify as being ordinary? Some of you are deceived, but you're ordinary, okay? He doesn't wait until all our character is sorted and we're a better person. Jesus chooses us warts and all to follow him, and then bit by bit conforms us to his image as we walk with him. I qualify because I'm less than perfect. And you know what? So do you. So we're qualified. That's the starting place, isn't it? We're qualified. I qualify to be chosen by God. Hallelujah. I fit in with that bunch of disciples. I fit in with that motley crew. Oh, wow. Let's go and change the world then. I've always said I want any church I lead to be full of unlikely people. I used to say in New Frontiers gatherings, much to their consternation often, that I, I would take all the folk that others were giving up on, all those who'd blown it and fallen, those who'd failed, and then I'll have all of them, and then we'll have a beautiful local church where Jesus loves to be. Because he's not measuring performance. He's full of grace. You might think, oh, I, I, I've done really well this week. I prayed a lot. I got up early and I, I, oh, good. Jesus is not impressed. And you might think, I blew it and I'm really a mess and I don't know where I am and, and, and oh. Well, it doesn't make any difference because there's more grace for you than you ever required. Do, do you see what I'm saying? It's all about him. It's all about the cross. It's all about the fact that the price for all the stuff we fail with is done with. It's paid. And now we're reliant on the grace of God. And it says where sin abounds, grace increases. So actually everything we need for life and godliness is there in Christ. Everything we need is there. We stumble. We fall. Everything I need is there in Christ. It's available. So I qualify. I can... I can be part of this, not because I'm doing well, but because he did ever so well. And he made me his child. It's not the superstars who will change the world. It's not the clever clogs or those who never fail. It's the ordinary folk who Jesus chooses. It's the failures, the broken, the damaged, and the less than perfect. The disciples were a bunch of unlikely guys. And we also? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's all of grace. Always all of grace. Greatness starts and ends with the fact that we're chosen by God. And that comes from the favor that we will never deserve. There's only one who is great, and his name is Jesus. He chose us, and you know what? He doesn't make mistakes. I feel I just need to say, looking around, you are not a mistake. You are not here by mistake. God always knows what he's doing, and he never gets it wrong. Isn't that good news? See, the enemy makes a point. He says, look, you're a mess. You, didn't, you got this wrong. You did that wrong this week. And you finish up going, I'll give up then. That's listening to the lies of the enemy. Define yourself from the word of God. God never makes mistakes. And he chose you. He chose you to be his child. Just, just let that truth settle for a minute. He chose you to be his child. And you might say, well, I've, I've never really put my trust in, in Jesus. Hey, no time like the present. He's choosing you right now. You can do it today. You can be born again today. You can step right now into the kingdom of God today and say, thank you. You've chosen me. Oh, this is the Christian life. This is the gospel. This is what makes it worth, worth preaching about. My last point, servanthood. Jesus, Jesus gathers the disciples around him. For some reason, I kind of see them sitting in a circle in my mind. And he starts to teach them again. And what he's about to teach them may, be, may well be one of the most important things they will ever hear. And he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. To be first, to be the greatest, you need to go to the back of the queue and become everyone else's servant. Wow. In our world, not many, if any, would teach that in any setting. If you go on management training courses, how to be a better X, Y, or Z, you will never be taught to go to the back of the queue and allow everybody else to go ahead of you and serve them. And yet, this is God's definition of greatness. This is how to be great in the kingdom. Interestingly, I believe with every fiber of my being that Christians can teach and demonstrate to a world, to the world, a new model of leadership where leaders or managers serve, enable, and equip their staff, where staff then give their best, not under duress, but because they love and respect those in charge of them. For me, that's a key part of taking the kingdom into the world. 
We transform the cultures we live in. We transform the society. We transform the workplace by bringing a different set of values to bear and modeling something about the way we treat people. We may be in charge, and yet we serve them, and we enable them, and we bless them, and help them fly, and somehow they respect you for it. It's called grace. You see, grace is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. We talk about the kingdom coming to Teesside, but this is, the gr- this is the kingdom coming to Teesside. It's grace coming to every relationship, every uh, workplace, in, in wherever we are. It's grace, 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 where we're honoring people and people feel valued and loved. That's it. I've, I've often thought we could set up a, a, a management training school on totally different principles and say to the world, come, we will teach you how to, to manage your your, your company or whatever it is, and you could set it up on totally different lines. I, I believe it. I believe it works. I believe we could do it. I had the privilege of, before I was being full-time, of working for the Hammond Organ Company, and I, I dare to believe I changed things through being me. I dare to believe I changed the atmosphere. I dare to believe I, I brought a different set of values to it. I didn't always get it right, but actually it became a great place to work. I, I remember somebody early on came and said, oh, well, I hate this company. I said, why? I said, well, well they, should, they should do this and they should do that. And, and uh, I said, well, you are the company, so change it then. And all they did was complain and grunt. And I said, look, if you, if you want it to be different, be different. And as we started to be different, I I remember Graham and I, we we worked in the service department and the warehouse the other side and kind of in charge of that crowd of people in the spares department. And we'd we'd come in in tatty clothes, you know, and and do our work. And then one day we we had this conversation and I said, well, tell you what, why why don't we put a a suit and tie on every day? And uh, which is quite interesting. So we put a suit and tie on every day and started coming to work. And it was the odd thing, because what happened was the, the, the managing director and all the bosses started looking at us and they're going, oh. but you know what? Their attitude changed. And the, it, the whole atmosphere changed because we started to just live differently and be different. And then they got rid of my friend and I, I kind of had free reign and I got all the pornography off the walls and all the stuff that's usually around that sort of place and just changed the atmosphere. We can do it. Wherever we have authority, we can make a difference, and we just bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. That's, that's the delight. I, I'd love to teach this stuff to groups of people. Um, I, I don't know the, if we can ever do that, but this is what taking the kingdom into the world's about, isn't it? We don't, we don't play on their basis. We don't, we don't go into politics and play on the, the, in, in the political field on, in the world. We go and bring the kingdom of God. Wherever we are, let's let the kingdom come is my passion. I've got a lot of passion this morning. Um, See, I believe these truths also apply in marriage and in parenting and any other place you can care. We we actually, parents, uh, you serve your children to lead them. You serve them. Yes, you train them and all the rest of it, but they're there because... They respect you because they know you're there. Your mom and dad, you will serve them. And I've proved it and I believe it with every fiber of my being. 
We could teach parenting courses on the principles of servanthood. When Jesus here is talking about being a servant, he's not talking about just what happens in church, you see. He says, this is how you're to live as you follow me. Live like this everywhere you go every day. Now, part of a servant's job in many countries is to wash feet. And in John uh, 13, 14, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and he said, if then your Lord and teacher have washed, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I suppose we could do that this morning, but we'll give it a miss just at the moment. But Jesus teaching about servanthood. Now, the problem is, even in servanthood, there can be a competitive element, right? I'm a better servant than you are. See, because we, we have that within us. It's not always selfless. Well, Jean and I were in Tanzania with, with uh, Jonathan and, and Angela last year. Um, between us, we washed about 150 pairs of feet, we think, one, one day. And uh, that, was, that was such an honor and a privilege to do hard work, I've got to say. But it's interesting because Jean keeps saying to me, well, we washed because it was a ladies' team and a men's team. We washed more feet than you guys did. And I'll say, no, 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 not at all. Probably it's true, sadly. But, but see, even in being a servant, it's possible to be competitive. And that's just a bit of fun, but we can, get, we, can, we can just become a little bit unhelpful. A servant gives away. A servant fights for nothing. A servant loves to serve. A servant honors. A servant takes the last place. The end of the queue. Not easy. Servanthood is an, atti- is an attitude and a position we take in life because we're followers of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke's account of uh, this Mark reading, he said, it says this, a a dispute rose uh, among them as to which of them was to be regarded as as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest of you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at table? But I am among you as one who serves. Here we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one in whom there is no fault, the one who is perfect in all ways, the one who spoke the world into being, the one who is worth all praise, honor, and glory. And he says, I come to you, humanity, to serve you. We can't demand anything. We don't demand anything of God. He's God. But he says, no, I come in grace, in mercy, to serve you. Will we let him serve us? Do we let Jesus wash our feet? Or do we stumble on our own trying to do better? I'm going to try extra hard Jesus said, just let me serve you. Let me give you some more grace. Let me encourage you. Let me fill you with my Holy Spirit again and again and again. I'm here to serve you. 
Let the truth of my, what I did on the cross permeate your being every day. Let me serve you. This is the Christian life, where a whole bunch of people who deserve nothing receive everything by the one who serves them, who made them. Wow. That is greatness. That's awesome greatness. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, serves me. Overwhelming, I think. It is for me. It just makes me worship more and more and more. And you know what? We're called to be like him. And to be like him means we become servants of the world. You see, we aren't here to serve the deserving, nor are we here to serve just the broken and the damaged of the world. We are the church. And we're here to be servants of all. Servants of all. And Jesus does an interesting thing. And he took a child and put, it, put him in the midst of them. And ta- he takes the child in his arms. And he says to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Here, Jesus is giving us a wonderful object lesson in humility. It's like Jesus says to them, you want to be great? Here's greatness in action. As he wraps his arm around this child. This is greatness. As we receive the love, as as we receive and love the child, the weak, the devalued, the hurting, whoever. As we receive people in his name, so we are receiving Jesus into our midst. And as we receive Jesus, we're receiving the Father. God is here. As you wrap your arms around a crying child, God is there. As you greet someone who's crying, struggling with life, and you hold them tight and you say, look, God loves you. Father's there. See, wherever we are, Father's, he's right here. He loves us. He cares for us. He says, I am one, I'm I'm among you as one who serves. I want, want to bless you. I want to bring you into all the joy of relationship with Father. Let me serve you. And so we receive and then we give servanthood to others. I'm going to finish by showing you the words of another little song, as I do. It's a favorite of mine. About 40 years ago in the Salvation Army, there was two Salvation Army officers, uh, Gowans and Larson. One went on to become a general many years later. They wrote a number of musicals, and one musical was called Spirit. I was trying to find a recording of this, and I, I couldn't. And there's this simple song. And it says this, To be like Jesus, this hope possesses me. In every thought and deed, this is my aim and creed. To be like Jesus, this hope possesses me, his spirit helping me, like him I'll be. Now there's an ambition worth having. Isn't it? 
God. I want to be like you. I want to be like you in the workplace. I want to be like you at school. I want to be like you in, with my family and my wife and my husband. And I want to be like you with my neighbors. I want to be like you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand, shall we? close our eyes. I'm going to pray for a minute. The band will come back, but I just want to linger here for a moment. Let's just pray together, shall we? Lord, I, we honor you as, as King of Kings, Lord Jesus. We we honor you as the majesty in heaven. We, we honor you as savior of the world. We, we honor you as creator king. Lord, no words can, are enough to, to describe you. And yet, in your majesty, you laid, down, laid it down and, and became the servant of all. Lord, we have no understanding of the enormity of that. Maybe we have a little bit, but God, I, I pray the truth of it will, will rest on us today. I pray the, the truth of what you've done and how you want us to be, that, that you became the savior of the world, that we might be free, that we might come out of our cages, that we might live as who you make us to be, that we might fulfill all our potential, not in striving for greatness, but by being servants of our great king. The number one is Jesus. And so we're free then to serve the rest of the world. Lord, we, we, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and quicken this truth in us? Would you bring it alive in us? Would you cause it to bear fruit in us? Would you cause it to influence our thinking this week in every part, every place we are, that we may be the people you've called us to be, that we may be the church in Teesside, that we may be the church in our, in our nation, that we may be the church the ends of the earth, because we're here to serve because you served first. We bless you, Lord. We love your presence. We love your presence. And we give you praise. And Lord, as we gather again tonight for prayer, I, I pray you will, you, will, you will powerfully meet with us. Deliver us from having just a list to work through. We want to encounter you as we pray. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. Amen.